Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, we're in our, our third installment of our series called Vertical Church. And the last two weeks, we've kind of talked about some freedoms uh, in Christ. And we've kind of, the first week, we looked at uh, just a series of questions to help us to discern, okay, are they freedoms or are they just things that put us in bondage? And then last week, we 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 looked a little bit closer into those things and we said, okay, how do those freedoms that we think we have, how are we supposed to maintain those freedoms if they bump into other people? And that there's a responsibility not just for us to possess those freedoms because those freedoms don't exist for us. They exist because of uh, the sacrifice that was made through Jesus and we are free, not for freedom's sake, but for the gospel's sake. And that's kind of what we talked about over those weeks. Well, it's, it's interesting. I've known that the content of these messages um, are supposed to be delivered to us as a church um, for about four or five months now. And what's really, really interesting is the next, th- we have four more weeks of this series. The three I'm going to preach, and then Jared is going to preach one. And the three messages that are remaining that I'm going to preach are things that we get wrong a lot. We get these things wrong a lot. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about intimacy in marriage for a whole Sunday. That should be interesting. And then we're also going to talk about money. And I sit and think about these things, and I know that they're a problem for most people. So if we could step back from all of those situations and all of those circumstances in our life, and we could say, if we would change the standard that we live our life, not to the glory of ourself, but if we would change the standard and say, you know what, I want to live my life to the glory of God in all things, I think the things that we, and I believe this in my, all my heart, the things that we get so wrong are because we're so wrapped up in us. And yet if we would step back and say, God, how could you get the glory in my marriage? How could you get the glory in my finances? How could you get the glory from the most intimate act with the most intimate partner that God has put on earth to share life with us? How could he get the glory for those things? So I know that this series, like I said, I've been excited about bringing this message because I know it's going to bring hope. I really feel like over the last, really the last two weeks, that people have been set free, that they were in bondage, and I've had conversations with people, and they, and, and they didn't say it in these words, but this is the sense that I got. They were actually in bondage and didn't know it. So now they're taking a, a reevaluation of their life and saying, you know what, I need to change the standard of which I live. I want to take us in another direction today, and we're talking about marriage. Before I even jump into this, uh, I want to say this, I realize not everyone is married, and some of uh, us have been married before, and we're not married right now. And I, I just want to say that God is, God's grace is sufficient in that. And a way that God can get further glory in that is to share with somebody else maybe the pitfalls that you stepped in and use the wisdom and maybe the, the hard knocks that you have gone through. God could get glory for that if you help somebody else not to step in those same holes. Can we say amen to that? If you look at the scripture, in, in a few moments we'll be in Ephesians, uh, rather, 
we're, we're actually going to start out with a couple of scriptures on the screen. But in a few minutes, we will be in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. You can open there if you want. Save time on the back end. If you are someone who has read the Bible, um, you will know this. And if you're not someone who has done much time in reading of the Word of God, this will come as to a surprise. There are several uh, times in the Holy Scriptures that that God uses the words marriage and adultery, not just talking about the relationship with husband and wife, but talking about the relationship with God and His people. And another uh, couple words that we see in the Word of God, specifically in the New Testament, is Jesus is, is the bridegroom and the church is the what? Is the bride. So we see this connection that there's, there's something more going on in this idea of marriage than simply two people joining lives, joining hearts, building a big house, having the white picket fence, having kids scattered in the yard, you know, stepping on toys in the middle of the night and going through and jabbing your toes on, on all the kids' uh, things that they've just wandered and left throughout the house. There's more to life and more to marriage than just what we see. I believe that, that marriage, and you will see this as well, marriage is to represent something in the world that nothing else can. Marriage, for, for you and I, if you're a Christian, then this absolutely pertains to you. If you are not walking with Christ this morning, this is going to be something that's a little bit foreign. But that's okay. Because we hope that you will study the Scriptures, that you will continue to come, and that you will hear the Word of God, that you would respond uh, to the word as it's taught, and that you would receive the gospel, and then all of this will make sense to you. There is a, a specific book in the Bible called Hosea. Has anyone read the book Hosea in here? Uh, the book Hosea is an interesting book, and if you're not a Bible reader, this is a scandalous book, and you would probably love to read this. <laughs> really. This is very much a scandalous book. The Lord, uh, now I'll back it up just one moment. Hosea was a prophet. And he was the man of God in his time for a certain group of people, as really the prophets were in the Old Testament. And God told Hosea that he was supposed to go marry this woman by the name of Gomer. That should have been a clue right there. If, if, if a woman shares a name of an auto mechanic that you see on a TV show, chances are that we have some issues. I was talking about Andy Griffith in honor of Andy Griffith, um, him passing this week. But Hosea was told to go marry this woman by the name of Gomer. Now, it wasn't a normal, uh, you know, a normal marriage, and it wasn't that you're going to be so happy and everything's going to be fluffy and you're going to have the house and the fence and the cars and you're going to have the truck that you want and she's going to have the SUV that she wants and all of these things. As a matter of fact, God said, I want you to, and he, he ordained and arranged this marriage. He said, I want you to marry this woman and she's going to be an adulterer. As a matter of fact, I want you to, to marry this woman and before you get into this marriage, I want you to know she's going to cheat on you. She is going to fail you time and time and time again. But God wanted to use that marriage to show something to the nation of Israel at that time and to show something to us today. Because he was supposed to, and he did, get into this relationship with his wife. She failed. She, she committed adultery just as, it, as was predicted. And yet, he had gone back to her 
with the spirit of forgiveness and literally paid money and bought her back from her sin and adultery. And that is supposed to be, for you and I, not just his life and all of these things, that is supposed to be transcending century after century after century to show us a picture of, what, how, of the relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus, that he has, has knowing that we would fail... If you received Jesus, he knew that you were going to fail. He knew you were going to fail this past week. And he says, you know what? My blood is going to buy you back from the pits of hell and from Satan himself. It's going to buy you back. Kind of like the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. And Jesus did buy us back. So this, this arranged and ordained marriage was to show us something. That maybe in the world that we live in, possibly, and I think you'll agree, that in our relationship with husband and wife, we are supposed to be showing the world something that nothing else can. Now, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I have to be honest with you, my, my marriage is a wonderful marriage. She, my, my wife and I have a wonderful marriage, but it hasn't been easy. And we don't have it all figured out. Can anybody say amen to that? If you've been married, like we've been married 18 years, and if, if you have learned anything in, in your years of marriage, you would say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out. We don't, we don't have it all figured out. But one thing that we do understand is that we are committed that we are committed that one day we can sit on, on, you know, like the double rocker on our front porch and we can be 60 years deep into, into our love and marriage and we can be sitting there rocking back and forth, you know, bones cracking and everything else, but the, the chair rocking and say, you know what, and I could put my arm around her, maybe with a little help from her, and put it back there and say, babe, you know what, we made it. God be the glory, we made it. Because I have to tell you, when we first got married... It was pretty much joining two of the most selfish people you ever meet. And when God put us together, and we started to go through some things in our life, it was teaching us things, not just about the other person, but teaching things about us, that maybe we're selfish in some areas that we didn't think we were selfish before. Very compelling. But before we get into, really, the idea of marriage, we have to have a starting point as to why we were created. This will be on the screen. And and I've kind of broken these down. There's a few of these. But this one is humanity and God's design. Before we can really even talk about about marriage, we all have to be at the same place. There's two scriptures I want to share with you, and they will both be on the screen. Don't worry about flipping there. In Romans 11.36, this may be a scripture that you have heard of before. The Apostle Paul wrote this. For from him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So from Jesus and through Jesus and to Jesus are all things. The the very essence of our being, we are created to glorify God. Individually, creation exists to glorify God. When the sun shines, it glorifies God. When the trees grow, it glorifies God. 
When the grass grows, although we don't like for the grass to grow too fast, we don't have to worry about it this time of year, but when the grass grows, it glorifies God. All creation glorifies God. And humanity, we exist to glorify God and not to glorify ourselves. We don't exist to have a happy marriage. We don't exist to have a happy marriage. We exist to glorify God. One of the ways in God's grace graces to us is to be able to give him glory in the most intimate of relationship of marriage so uh, romans eleven thirty six, and then isaiah 43 6 through 7 says this bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth everyone who is called by my name whom i created for my glory whom i formed and made Isaiah was a prophet. He was prophesying. This was the word of the Lord. And he says, this is who I created for my glory. God says, I created you for my glory. There's so many times that we, we, we misunderstand this. That the glory of God, it transcends everything. It transcends our being. It should permeate our relationships. It should permeate our marriage. It should permeate if we buy that car, if we don't buy that car, if we go share Christ with our coworker or not. Asking the question, am I living my life to glorify me or glorify God? If you are a child of God this morning, the standard of which you were supposed to live has been elevated. Everything in the scriptures is to elevate your standard of living to make it conform to to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. So we started with humanity. Now, let me me just share this. And this is going to be a little challenging. There's several little passages that I want to read, but I'm just drawing out in the first two very uh, simplistic points out of them. And the first thing I would say in, in this idea of marriage is marriage and its created design. Um, if you want to, you can flip to Mark 12. If not, I'm going to fly right through it. I'm pulling out one point from Mark 12. And if you want to write that down, you can uh, read that yourself as soon as I can find it. There it is. This is a conversation that Jesus is having with some religious leaders who are challenging him, really, about the idea of the resurrection, but then also we see a truth about marriage. Mark 12, verse 18 says this, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with the question, Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, they must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, this is the question that the Sadducees asked Jesus. He said, at the resurrection, whose, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? This is, this is what I want us to see from this passage, verse 25. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Marriage is temporary. 
Marriage is temporary. Marriage is for this life. Marriage is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And it's temporary. We, we, we will not be married in the life that, that precedes, or rather, that, that follows this life. We will not be married. So there has to be more of a compelling reason. I realize, and we spent several weeks in a series called His and Hers, and we unpacked this. We said it from Genesis 2.18, and the Word of God said that it was not good that man should be alone. So the Lord gave him a helper, and her name was Eve. And that was for this life. That was the first marriage. And, and we discussed that in length a few weeks ago. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Marriage... It's temporary. And marriage is a gift. And the reason why I bring that point out to you this morning, marriage is supposed to be more than just two people making some vows and making a decision. It's more than that. Marriage in the world that we live in, is to represent to the rest of the world this wonderful picture and the relationship that Jesus has with His church. Ephesians five twenty two through 33 is where we're going to be. 22 through 33. And this also, we, we literally, about two months ago, we spent a lot of time unpacking this text. And I'm bringing out a couple simple truths, things I intentionally did not highlight when we went through the His and Her series, but I'm highlighting them now, um, as I planned to do. Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What, what is incredible about this text is there's a sprinkling back and forth that it talks about, okay, relationship, roles, husband and wife, but then the other sprinkling is, no, this isn't just about husband and wife, this is about the gospel. This isn't just about husband and wife, this is about the gospel. This isn't just about husband and wife, this isn't just about your role as husband and wife, this isn't just, just about submission and headship, that, that isn't what this is just about. He's saying, I, I want to I reveal these deeper truths to you, that Jesus leads Christians, this applies to every one of us, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, that we see from the text, Jesus leads Christians And the thing that Paul draws through there, he says, Jesus leads Christians just like men should lead their families. 
that Jesus leads Christians, He sets the standard, and that in our home, men should lead families. And then Christ submits, or rather, the church submits to Christ, just like uh, the wife is supposed to be submissive to the man's leadership and headship in the home. It's deeper than just us um, doing the things that we're supposed to. We're to represent something to the rest of the world. And here it is. At the end of this passage, it, it makes reference to the gospel. And he says, this is a profound mystery. And I'm talking about Jesus and the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. Jesus died to save sinners. That's what he did. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what has set you free from the bondage. So we don't have to, to work out the law like we talked about a couple weeks ago. That's the thing that, that you don't have to try and earn salvation. It has been freely given to you. Jesus saved sinners. He did so in such a, you know, in just a sacrificial and an unselfish way that we as Christians are supposed to replicate that with, within our relationship of husband and wife. We're supposed to be unselfish with one another. We're supposed to be just loving sacrificially with one another. Putting down our own thing that we want to do. That's the reason why this, this section is called Marriage and the Gospel. Because the centerpiece of this scripture is not just husband and wife, but it's the gospel. Everything in our life, and I've mentioned this over the last two weeks, and I'll mention it every week because it's that important. We're to live our life to the standard to give God the glory in everything, right? But then also, the second thing that is supposed to change us and mold us and, and, and inform the way that we live is this idea of living out the gospel. We see this perfectly in this text. That Paul, he's mentioned, he was not somebody who was married. This isn't something that, that he even learned through experience. This isn't somebody who's, you know, he's up in years and he's, he's had 60 or 70 years of marriage. This is the inspired and infallible word of God coming through a man who really didn't even understand these truths, which I love the complexity of that, that the Lord is speaking through Paul. He's pinning this letter to the church, of which he really has no personal experience of, rather outside of, of just the, the Holy Spirit's leading. And just as Jesus gave his life for the church to save sinners, we, if we are in a, a marital relationship... Really, this is each and every one of us. We're supposed to be giving our lives sacrificially to one another. We're supposed to be laying down those things that our desires and our selfishness and our greed and all these things, just laying them down for the gospel day after day after day. And I love what Andrew Peterson said in that song. He says, isn't that what the promise is for? Talking about... He's talking about the promise and the vows between husband and wife, but it's so much deeper than that because we have so many of God's promises that He has imparted to us that enable us to live the life that He wants us to live. But Jesus leads Christians. Men lead families. The church submits to Christ's authority. The wife is supposed to submit to man's headship. And yet, both of them back and forth Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to be loving each other unselfishly. We're supposed to be laying our life down for one another. Timothy Keller said this. He's a lot more brilliant than I am. 
He says, the reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. If you think about that just for a little while, that is really a profound statement. He says, the reason why it's so painful and wonderful at the same time is God is teaching us things about ourselves. In my, in my personal marriage, I can see that the longer that I've been married and the, and the deeper our relationship gets, the less selfish I'm getting. The less, I, I, it isn't even about me. I have a really good friend of mine. I wasn't going to tell this story, but it, it really kind of came to me this morning. I, I have a very good friend of mine. They've been married for years. I don't even know how many years, but it's, it's near about 50 years. And, and this... This individual has always worked and, and really the, his wife has, has stayed home for many years and just kind of taking care. They had kids and taking care of everything at home. And, and, and his work has caused him to, to live in different places and really kind of uproot several times. And, and now they're, they're, they're later in life and they're, and they're deep in marriage and they're having to rely on those promises and the vows that they made so many years ago because now... Her, her, her health is failing. And now, instead of, of sitting back and saying, you know what, oh, I don't get to do the things that I want to do. I, I, I had dreamt and I, I thought that in my retirement I was going to be able to do this and I was going to go do there and I was going to see this and I, I've always wanted to go do this. Instead, now he sits back and he doesn't sit back angry at the fact that he doesn't get to do. This is earth-shattering. He sits back and he sees that he, he's thankful that he gets to serve her in the way that she has served him for decades. You can't teach that. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. That's the gospel. That's her going to him and saying, you know what, I submit to, to your headship and if this is what you think is right, then we'll talk about it and, and I'll trust your headship. And he's, he's taken the role and he's taken the, the lumps along the way and his whole life has been shaped by that. And now they're coming down and now they're later in years and now they've, they've had all these experiences and they, the, all their dreams are not being fulfilled but yet they're relying on the vows that they made so many decades ago to have and to hold, to love and to cherish sicker, poor, richer in good health and in bad health. See, that's what the promises are for. The promises that we make on, on, if you're not married, this is like medicine before that day. This is what this is. But if you could understand this in, in a deeper way and think to myself, my marriage is to be a symbol and the way that I love my husband and wife is a direct representative of the gospel in the world that I live in. When you go to a family reunion and everybody else is, all the men are over here and all the women are over here and they're talking about, about my wife did this and da 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 and they're over here and my husband did this and they're talking back and forth and you don't have anything bad to say about your wife or your husband, do you have some things you could probably add in there? Probably. 
but you choose not to because you're loving them and you're trying to be unselfish and you're, and you're, you're, you're just trying to lay down your life and you know that your life is a direct representation of the gospel. I'm saying, you know what? Everywhere that I go, the way that I love my husband and my wife is a representation of how much Jesus loves me. I think there would be a whole lot less arguments, a whole lot less frustrations. And the very nature of marriage teaches us several things. It teaches us, really, at the core of it, how sinful we really are. If you would go to uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. It's only two books over from Ephesians. This is the more, I would say, practical way of of explaining uh, some things. I've really talked about marriage as far as a historical sense and then also an eternal sense and also a theological sense, and this is a very practical sense. And, and this section is just uh, entitled Marriage and Practical Grace. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 says this. Another letter of Paul. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you and we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. That you may please him in every way. Here's the list. Bearing fruit in every good work. A godly marriage is a good work. A godly marriage is a good work. I know that culturally, I know that, that culturally that, that the idea of biblical marriage is about as you know, irrelevant as like John Travolta, VHS tapes, and your grandma's station wagon. I know that. It's like so irrelevant with our culture. But yet, if we peer into the Word of God and we see, with, and we look through this with the lens of marriage, it says bearing fruit in every good work. A godly marriage is a good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. This is probably, for you, if you've been married several years, that this has been really a landmark thing for you. I can tell you in my own marriage, this has been, and I didn't suspect that I would learn as much about God just from our marriage. Because I was selfish when we got married. I wasn't, I wasn't saved when I got married. I thought it was about me. I, I really did. And I can tell you that I lived most and several of my married years, of 18 years, not for the glory of God, but for the glory of me. And if you sit and think about this, and let this kind of permeate you, that marriage is a good work, and we acknowledge that. And that it teaches us about the knowledge of God. It teaches us about patience. It teaches us about re- what real love is and sacrificial love. 
Because when you get into that close of a relationship, you can't just up and go wherever you want to go, and you can't just go up and do whatever you want to go do, and you can't just go spend money wherever you want to go spend money. It teaches us, saying, okay, now I'm, I'm living in this relationship that has shaped everything about me. And I'm teaching me, sometimes I'm very unmerciful, sometimes I don't even give an ounce of grace, and sometimes I just fail. Teaches us about the knowledge of God. Verse 11, it says, Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. Now this, I would break this down in a couple different ways. This is the partner to endure with. This is the Genesis 2.18 that I mentioned earlier. That it's not good that man should be alone. So he gave, uh, he gave Adam, his wife, Eve, that they, would, that they would be partners to endure life with, that we're not to be alone. It's, good, it's not good that man would be alone, if you remember what the Scripture says. It teaches us patience. And I think about this. Anybody who has waited those five minutes for their lady to be ready um, understands that for a guy, understanding uh, it's only five minutes, honey, and I'll be ready, and then the guy sits there, that you're learning patience over and over again because, guys, it takes about three minutes to do where We can go anywhere. We can be ready. We can be dressed, hair done, whatever, in, in three minutes. Right, guys? And yet we're taught patience in, in a marriage because, okay, now we're not just working on my timetable. Now it's their timetable. But then also, um, we have these, these, in verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. I would draw from that these moments of shared praise. I've talked with many people, counseled many people, who one person is a child of God, they've received Jesus Christ, and then the other person, and they're married, and the other person is not a child of God. And they can never enjoy God's praise together. Think about that. They can never enjoy God's praise together. I have a, a list for us to help us in this idea of glorifying God in our marriage. This is the first one on the list. Simply make God's glory the focal point of your marriage. Make God's glory the focal point of your marriage. Don't don't make your kids the focal point of your marriage. Don't make your marriage the focal point of your marriage. Make God's glory the focal point of your marriage. Convey God's grace to others by showing unconditional love and further equipping and enjoying life with your spouse. Convey God's grace by unconditionally loving when your coworkers and your extended family members look at you and they say, wow, something is different about their marriage. The reality is this. A Christian marriage has to endure the exact same things that somebody who is not walking with Christ has to endure. Is that not right, church? We endure the same things. It's our response to those things that, that makes us different than the world that we live in. 
Show the world that we that, that the world around you and the people around you the difference that God is making within you by having a spirit of unconditional love. Treat your marriage like it's a gift. And I'm not talking like a gift like from your like your grandma at Christmas, like the tube socks with the big red stripes that you'll never wear, right? Not that, not that kind of gift, and you throw it away, or you re-gift next year at the, you know at the at the company Christmas party. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about treat it like it's the most precious gift that God has ever given you outside of your salvation. Treat it like it's a gift from God above. Treat it like it's a gift. Invite God into your decision making. When you, when, when you go and you have to make a decision, invite God into your decision making. Pray about it with husband and wife and go through and say, okay, this, this is something that we need to invite God in on. Because if I, if I rely on my own wisdom and if, if, if you rely on my wisdom and vice versa, we're going to fail. What does God say about this? Invite God into your decision making. Forgive hurts instead of holding grudges. If, you've, if you have done any level of counseling, you've heard this a hundred times. People hold on to grudges, male and female. They hold on to grudges. And then 10 years down the road, they've never actually worked through some issues that happened a decade ago. And then all of a sudden it comes to the surface. And now something that that seemed so minuscule is so complex because the things weren't worked out. And because they haven't had this, this idea of forgiveness. Forgive as God has forgiven you is what the scripture says. Think about the things, the rotten things that you've done in your life. Think about the sin that Christ Jesus has, has, was put on the cross for. And then he conquered at his death and his resurrection. Extending forgiveness. And then just celebrate life together. Find a, a shared interest. So you're not growing apart in, in, your, your, in your likes and dislikes. Find a shared interest. It may be difficult. Yesterday, it was difficult for me. It, I'll be honest with you. It was quite difficult yesterday. We, we went out to eat, had a wonderful meal at a restaurant here in town. And, and then we, we go to the mall, which is not necessarily my favorite place to go in the world. Um, I, I really, it's, it's a toss-up between places I don't want to attend, Walmart or the mall. But we went to the mall. And, and as we're going through the mall... I was going through and I was being educated on, what dear, all of the dresses and the blouses and all the fashion and all of these things. You know what, I, I, I stepped into her world because I love her. I didn't go through, her, uh, go through that with her and say, you know what, okay, we'll go to dinner, but we're going to go to Dick's Sporting Goods after. Either Dick's Sporting Goods or Bass Pro. You make the call. Which one, honey? I mean, it crossed my mind, but I didn't. I didn't do that. I said, you know what? Let's walk through the mall. I, I, I stepped into her world a little bit. I kind of met her where she was. 
You celebrate life together means if you kind of lay down your wants and desires, you're not always going to get what you want. Sometimes you're not going to get the hunting lease. Sometimes you're not going to get that extra rifle. Sometimes you're not going to get those extra set of clothes. Sometimes you're not going to get the car that you want. But we're not to be living our life for the glory of us. We're supposed to be elevating the way that we live to the glory of God. And that should permeate every decision that you make, every relationship that you have, the way that you talk to other people, the way that you live out the gospel amongst unbelievers. I ask you a question. How have you done with that this week? How have you done with that? Have, have you lived your life for the glory of you? Or the glory of God? As I was preparing for this, I started to think about, you know, God, God does this and in, in for the, the church that we have and, and praying over people that the Lord has brought us. And I realize we have a lot of folks in here who are not married. And some of you, and I, I, I mentioned this briefly earlier, some of you ha- have been in a marriage and you're not anymore. And you would sit back and say, you know what? If you're honest, you would say, you know what? There was a failure on both parts. God's grace is sufficient. He knows your weaknesses. If you've accepted him into your life and you've said, Lord Jesus, I I am a sinner. I accept the sacrifice that you made on the cross for me. Please come into my life and just to redeem me. And and I know that you bought me back by your shed blood. He knew the things that you were going to do when when you were a a child. He knew the things that you were going to do when you were in that marriage. And he knows the events that you're caught up in right now. And you know what? If you have been redeemed of God, you're redeemed not just in a moment, but for your lifetime. God's that good. God is that loving. Some of the things I mentioned today are kind of sobering, kind of really, really hit me hard and probably did for you as well. But I believe there's hope with with men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ. If we would elevate the standard of which that we love husband and wife, if we would elevate that standard, that that is the best gospel that we can possibly live out in the world around us. And if we commit to Him, if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, that scripture says in Matthew 6.33, all other things would be given unto us. This isn't like some prosperity gospel that you get everything. I'm getting a new car. I'm getting a new house. I'm getting a new job. I'm getting a new wife. No, it's not like that. But he says, if you, if you ask and pray these things according to his will, you may not get everything you want, but you'd be content with what you have. You may not get all you want, but you'd be content with what you have. God's that good. 